Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Right, City Limits on air, 9.02. That's pretty early for us. It's, we're only on at 9 o'clock. We're doing um, well today yeah, already. Yeah, we're doing bloody terrific. And uh, that, was, that was Mark Owen over there saying that. Andy's pressing the buttons. I'm Kevin Healy. And uh, back this week, no one would have missed. No one would realise I wasn't here last week, so I won't mention that. And uh, <laughs> Trevor Grant's in the studio as well. Trevor's a well-known presenter here on 3CR. We'll get round here. Trevor, you're welcome to join in our early discussion too before we get to uh, the reason you're in here. So... Uh, yeah, thanks. Feel uh, free to discuss. Good to be back, mate. Yeah, good yeah. to be back. Trevor, I think most people know Trevor, of course, had the what's the sports, um, what's the, what's sport, the score, score sport, sport uh, on Friday afternoons. But all more particularly, I think, and more importantly, he launched the Refugee Radio Program that still goes on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and Trevor, it's great to have you back. We'll get round to why you've okay. been away shortly. Yeah. Okay. And Mark... Uh, last week, um, as you know, I was away with a cold or whatever, which is still lingering a bit, but um, great. it was a great program, by the way. I mean, what it proved is that I am totally redundant, which is a good sign for me. It's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for your kind words. The, for your the, kind. Only, the only criticism I got, even from someone who said it was a good program, yeah. was, was there was no tea pouring last week. There wasn't. Speaking of which, no. I've left the tea in the bloody kitchen. I've poured that, it. And, oh, no, I'll go and get it. Andy, you stay there. Look, you just keep talking, you people, and I'll yeah. just go and get the tea. Oh, All man, right. What an you, oversight. You, you said totally redundant there. Yeah, totally. Never. Never. Yeah, admit it. Kevin will never be totally redundant. No, Kevin, Kevin, we, we, I missed him last week. Um, so I got a phone call from Kevin uh, the day before, just not long before, saying, oh, I can't come in. And it was like, all right, I'm going to have to try and carry this on my own. But we managed. We pulled oh, it off. Oh, good on you guys. No, no, it's amazing what you can do once you just sit down cold in front of a microphone. Exactly, yes. Well, we had two guests, which helped as well. Oh, so having great. having two guests helped. But, yeah, no, it was it, it worked out pretty well. So good yeah, on you. I'm, I'm happy. But I'm very, very glad to have Kevin back. And he's, uh, yes, and here he is. Well, here we tea. are. And now Andy's going to do his trick with the mic levels. And we're going to pour tea. This is wonderful. For those who missed it last week. I'm so sorry go. for everyone last week that we yeah. Another cup, Mark. You got a cup? I've got a a sort of a weak green tea. Oh, all right. Might have some some excellent. Yeah, your tea is a little strong for me. One, just a couple of things I wanted to open with. Um, One was uh, in America. I got a bit of coverage here, but uh, incredibly. Woman um, called Pamela Ramsey Taylor, director of the Clay County Development Corporation. Sent out a Facebook uh, piece saying it will be refreshing to have a classy, beautiful, dignified First Lady back in the White House. I'm tired of seeing an ape in heels. And the Mayor of West Virginia, Beverly Whaling, these are two women, by the way, isn't that interesting, uh, commented, just made my day, Pam. I mean... Hmm. Mm. They've unleashed yeah. some um, amazing things, haven't they? Uh, they have. There with that, um, they really have. With the election of Trump, I saw a... Uh, a news clip last night that showed um, oh, basically the Ku Klux Klan endorsing him and yeah. giving the Hitler salute. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't even rejected it. Yeah, he hasn't even rejected it. No, that's that's yeah, very so. disturbing. Because all of this was obviously here before Trump became elected, but it's really brought it brought it to the fore, hasn't yeah. it? It's really and that, that it woman hasn't been sacked. 
That's the no, interesting no, thing. Yeah. Um, really? Ten, ten me, months ago yeah. or, or six months ago, she would have been. She sacked. would have been, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, would've... six months ago or even two weeks ago, she wouldn't have said it. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, exactly, yeah, it's a sign of the times, isn't is it? Is it what? But one, one attack I do agree with, a bloke who, said, who described a bloke as a pro-wanker, pro-loser, pro-moron, now in typical fashion the Herald's, <laughs> the Herald's son has come out and attacked him, mainly because he's a Victorian Labor minister, so if you're a Labor minister in Victoria you're open for anything, you know, day after day, front page, I mean I even start to feel sorry for poor old Dan. Um, <laughs> Which is, you know, Dan is a pure pejorative on the front page of the Herald Sun. But um, a Victorian Labor minister is under fire for a crude tweet to a one-time political candidate in Queensland. The one-time political candidate was for um, for the Australia, the Qatar Australia Party. But he um, he had, he's actually suing Linda Burney, the um, Indigenous member who got in in the last election. Uh, because Linda Burney said it astounds me that the people that are advocating for the removal of, of 18C are basically white men of a certain age that have never experienced racial discrimination in their life. And this bloke, Gaynor, the um, the Catter Party bloke, said this was offensive, clearly racist and ageist and sexist to boot, and he wants to sue her over it. And the Victorian minister called him a uh, pro-wanker, pro-loser, pro-moron, and I think for once I'd have to agree with him, yeah. wouldn't you? Mm. Mm. That's yeah. a fair point. And the Herald Sun may have just jumped on the wrong side for once. Yeah. It happens occasionally. Yeah. It's strange, yeah. but it, uh, it's yeah. a sort of a, a blue moon yeah. or something happens that mm. night. But. Getting back to Donald, during the election he denied there were any problems with Trump University, all these people suing because they were getting rorted badly. Mm. Mm. But as soon as the election's over, he's settled with them for $25 million. Yeah, Yeah, of course. And he's also uh, his um, agent or, or his spokesperson announced today that he won't be suing, uh, won't be going after no, Hillary. Hillary, yeah. that's right, mm, yeah. Mm. Crooked Hillary. Crooked mm. Hillary. <laughs> the election wasn't rigged after all. Nah. No, no. Uh, just a, a slight uh, contradiction here too. There's been a number of headlines recently uh, uh, headed by the fact that the the um, Business Council of Australia and even the government, and the headline the Fin Review this week, weak wage gains blow out budget. So weak wage gains. And the, the, the Business Council keep complaining about the fact that wages aren't growing fast enough, which I thought I thought they could easily fix up. But um, <laughs> then you get headlines in, um, in, in papers like just a couple this week, workers waging a battle for pay rises. These are all saying the workers shouldn't be, of course. It's terrible that they're actually going for it. Uh, West Connex Union's row could drive up labour costs. And then there's one um, ABCC could lead to rise in wages, so maybe it's worth voting for. But anyway, um, this led to a piece in the Financial Review on Monday by the um, by the CEO of the Business Council, who is, of course, um, uh, Jennifer Westacott, and she says the business bashers must explain the consequences and how, in fact... The only way to get wages growth in this slow economy is to build up business, have these tax cuts they want, etc., etc., and how all this leads to it. But unfortunately for her, on the very opposite page in the same paper, a headline, those elusive well-paying jobs by Brian Toohey, who's no mad radical himself, but he makes the point that after 30 years or so of economic rationalism, he doesn't put it in those terms, but he quotes 1880 as the, 1980s as the turning point, in fact, profits have grown, productivity's grown, but wages have decreased in America and in Australia. So 
if her argument's correct that by doing the very things that we've done for 30 years we'll and cut taxes for business, we'll see wages grow, then the proof is not in the, uh, in the Well, pudding. trickle-down economics. Um, yeah, the yellow liquid. Uh, yeah, that's right, that's <laughs> yeah. right, that's right. And, you know, people keep telling us from the business councils of the world that uh, it's the only way to go. Now, Trump's going to cut business tax, what, the... 20% or 15% or something like that. And so we, we automatically have to follow. And that is the way to encourage wages growth. I mean, it's laughable. Yeah, it is laughable. It is. I mean, the fact that they're still trying to push this, you know, despite all the evidence to the contrary. Exactly. You know, the exactly. 1% has grown, you know, wages going, stabilising, going down. Flatline. You know, flatline flatline yeah. for, for 20 years. And People can't afford to buy a house. Uh, I mean, the quality of life is... Yeah. It's going down all the time, it's and all yet they still push it. Mm. Cut business taxes, though, and we'll all be better we'll off. We'll all be better yeah. off. Yeah. But yeah. The, the, it's it's the state of capitalism, yeah. isn't it? It's always in crisis. There must yes. be a crisis every day of the week. Yes. And unfortunately, um, you know, the, that's that's the way of the world. Where there's no way around that. It doesn't matter what day it is. If you pick up the newspaper, there's a crisis. Mm. In capitalism, mm, there is. Yeah, it's a it's pity, true. isn't it? That's what they use. I keep trying. It? I've been trying to think over the many years I've been involved in politics, which goes back to when I was born almost. Um, at what time was it right to give workers a wage rise? It never has been, has it? No, no, no. no. But, it's, but but it's interesting. Back in the time of Eisenhower, so um, at least those um, very high wage earners paid a tax that. Was legitimate. They paid something like seventy. It was like percent, close to eighty, I think. Yeah, seventy or eighty yeah, percent yeah, in the fifties yeah. and sixties. Yeah, and that was the lead that Australia took as well. So they, they actually, um, did, and now they're back to what twenty five percent and trying mm. trying to go even lower and even lower. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And just to finish on this bit, and then we'll go to Trevor and have a talk to him, but. Um, Front page of the Fin Review on on yesterday morning, actually, union leaders' violent past exposed. And the bloke, he's a right-wing New South Wales, and his mates are all right-wing and they don't sound too good. He's uh, with the electric or the communications electrical and plumbing union, the SIPU. But um, and they say he's been done for um, brutal domestic abuse of his daughter and ex-wife. So if it's all true, it's certainly, a, you know, he sounds like an awful sort of bloke. But they've used that to have an editorial saying Labor should be ashamed of this. Now, I just can't recall, um, Andy, Trev, um, Mark, uh, at any stage when a big business person has been accused of some sort of crime, a headline saying Liberal and Coalition should be ashamed of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing, interesting thing, I was listening to some debates in Parliament They're talking about the um, ABCC bill um, yesterday and one of the Liberal senators kept harping on the fact that Yes, these people um, have been charged and have appeared before a court. What he forgot to say was they'd been discharged. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Five, there's yeah. been five, five uh, people um, re- related to the CFMEU mm. who have appeared in court and the charges have been thrown out. Yeah. yeah but that, um, that last bit... He just forgot about Just it forgot yesterday. about that bit, yeah. It's uh, easy to forget. And that. the crimes they <laughs> quote, of course, are crimes that were quite legal until the wreath legislation came in and then work choices that yeah, made it harder. Yeah. And Labor really never did tear up work choices. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. And so you've got 
union officials now being charged with what was normal union activity, including oh, taking action on, on safety issues and everything mm. else. Mm. How dare they swear yeah. on a building site? Oh, as if, as you know, and I mean, no employer on a building site would ever swear. Oh, no. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> All they'd swear is that they'll give the workers a fair go. I swear yeah, to give the yeah, workers yeah, a fair it, go. That's it. <laughs> but they're such bastards, aren't they, those workers? Yeah. yeah. All right, look, let's take a quick break. I'll come back and we'll have a yarn to Trev about uh, why he's actually in here. Okay, back with Trevor Grant in the studio today. And Trev, good to see you come in because I know you haven't been well. Um, mm. And that's why you're here, in fact, in some ways, because um, Trevor, I think everyone knows, I mentioned at the start, he's done a couple of those programs on 3CR, What's the Score Sport and uh, the Refugee Radio Program. Trevor also, of course, many years at Juno, both on the Herald Sun and Age. You were the cricket um, editor of the Age. Can we even start there just very briefly? I mean, I've got a feeling that all this absolute welter of one day and... 20, you know, one day in 2020 games is, is one of the reasons behind Test cricket failing so badly. Oh, it is. And you, look, everyone loves Dave Warner and everyone tries to copy him now. Have a look at the shot he got out on in the, mm, first, wasn't in, good. In the first test. Well, but, but that's standard now and people say, well, uh, we have to accept that. Mm. And there's so many kids yeah, uh, trying to emulate that sort of batting. The, the art of defence is gone, and, and the art of defence is critical to Test cricket. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's, uh, and I, I must admit, I only watched the other games I don't even consider to be cricket, but they've taken over. And indeed, the, in the last few seasons, they now rush the Tests through in the early stages oh. of summer just to get round to the, the ones that make money for um, well, the television. Bash. and then, Well, the yeah. big bash now is just a... You know, the, the corporatisation of sport is, is actually the reason why I started that program. You know, what's the score sport? Mm. And cricket um, yeah. is, is, you know, one of the number one sports for commodification and corporatisation. They don't care. All they care about is what sort of money. You know, they just become industries. They're not mm. sports. Mm. And they've taken the games away from the average fan. Yeah. The average fan now can no longer afford to keep going. You know, you can't afford to go and see... No. Um, you know, except maybe one match a season these or days. Or even footy. I mean, footy with the um, with the fact that uh, with footy, you've now got to pay extra when you get in to get it to even be able to sit down. Yeah, well, that's I mean, right. It's become ridiculous. Um, yeah, so... And Dawn Fraser in the last couple of days came out, a bit, bit of a conflict here in terms of your interest, Trevor, but she came out and said that money is killing sport. But then she went on to say she agrees with Donald Trump on keeping refugees out. So it was a, it was it was even money bet at the end of it all. Oh, that's that's Dawn Fraser for yeah. you. But they, anyway, they never get to the root cause of it, you know. They'll say things like that, but they'll never go to the root root cause of why, you know, sport is deteriorating, why people are. And it's all it's all about the system that we live under. It's all, all about capitalism. Yeah, it's sport all, it's is now part of capitalism. Just, I suppose just making yeah. money. Mm. That's all. Mm. The, the, mm. the bottom line, the you know, mm. profit. Profit is the is the guiding force mm. in in all sport today, and I'll, I guarantee. I started writing in 1969 um, uh, on a paper called Newsday at the, in the that the Age brought out. But that's how long ago. And back then, there was I mean there was a, an element of it starting, but it really took off in the 80s. And it's um, when they started the AFL as opposed to the VFL, and for, we won't go into there, Kev, because mm, I know no, you think. No. But, but anyway, that's that's yes, that's the uh, that's a good, where it all started. You'd know, therefore, I had a very good season this year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Anyway, anyway that anyway, aside, let's get on with my old team. Yeah. Um, 
But Trevor, where you, while you're in here, actually, you have been ill for the last couple of yeah. years, and um, perhaps you, I don't know how much you want to talk about that specifically, but what we really want to talk about is that if you've got enough money these days, obviously there are drugs you can get which can keep you alive or yeah. can even cure you, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but if you can't afford them, you can't get them. It's the fact that there's now a, seems to be a price. Yeah. For the free medical system has a price on life. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just explain my situation briefly. 18 months ago, um, you know, I was going pretty well. I was doing three programs at 3CR and really loving what I was doing and then yeah. suddenly got a pain in my right shoulder and um, lo and behold, uh, a few weeks later, I'm diagnosed with asbestos cancer. And um, it's a terminal illness. Um, I've been told that I haven't got long to go. Um, because it's starting to grow again. It, 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 we kept it under um, under wraps for a while, but uh, unfortunately uh, my most recent scan showed growth and so the doctor said to me, you've probably only got a few months. But um, the start of this whole, whole issue was, uh, for me, um, very, very difficult. Um, you know, it's you, you feel absolutely crushed. You feel like one of those... Um, you know, that you're under one of those crushes on a mass production line when you get involved um, with the medical side of, of this sort of thing. Let, let me explain. The, when I first started, um, I did some uh, chemotherapy that did, did uh, a little bit of work, but then I got on to a drug uh, called Keytruda, which um, is an immunotherapy drug, and that started to work very well. But um, people may remember um, Ron Walker, the Liberal Party uh, president. Well, he actually um, contracted melanoma and he went to the States to get this drug. It would cost um, him about 120000 to go through a trial, I think it was, and it cured him. So he came back to Australia and um, put it on the PBS or got it put on the PBS through his uh, friend um, who was health minister at the time, Tony Abbott. Mm. They pushed and very I said hard. You, I said to you some weeks ago, it's probably the only decent thing he's done in his whole life. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. But the problem was that it's only on the PBS for melanoma, but it's showing a lot of promise with other cancers like my cancer, asbestos cancer. Now, um, I uh, was in a uh, situation where... Uh, because it's not on the PBS, I had to pay $7,000 every three weeks to stay alive, to have this treatment. And there's a lot of people who can't. Now, I used to go into into the chemotherapy uh, day ward there and I'd be sitting next to someone who had melanoma cancer and they were paying $6.20 for the same treatment I was getting and I was paying $7,000. And this is, this is what happened. And there were thousands of people who get this disease these days, and they can't afford this immunotherapy. And the immunotherapy has been very, very good. It's given me an extra 12 months, you know, with, with this, you know, of really good living. And um, the only reason I was able to, to pay for it was because I discovered that uh, my um, uh, former employers, The Age and The Herald, um, in those old buildings, people had contracted this disease, so I sued them, and uh, they paid me out before the um, uh, before the case went to the Supreme Court. So I was I was lucky in the sense that I had the money, mm. although the money's not designed for that; it's the designed to give you to make up for the loss of life. But I ended up having to use it for medical mm. treatment to extend life, which to, is a bit of to an extend irony, life. Yeah, and and. Um 
Yeah, and of and, course, people. And this is the, the, the point. The point about this disease, in particular, this is a, this is a special disease because it's caused by corporate greed and government neglect. Do you know? Um, uh, you know, and you just breathe it in, and and you know, you're just, you're just unlucky. You don't know. You don't, you don't know where it is, but it is. Um, I say corporate greed because, as we know, Hardy's, James Hardy knew, and I sued them as well, and they paid me out, but James Hardy um, knew in 1959 that it killed people, Mm -hmm. and they continued to manufacture stuff with asbestos in it, like kitchen cabinets and all sorts of things, until 1984. And the thing is that a lot of uh, companies like The Age... And, the, and where I started working in a brand new building in 1969, I discovered that um, through this court case, um, and I saw the receipts actually from the man who did it, uh, the subcontractor, that just before we all moved into this building, the inside of the building was sprayed with limpid asbestos as a fire retardant. So suddenly I'm leaning against it. And the worst mm. thing, though, is that a number of people in that building have contracted the disease over the years. And mm. same with the Herald... Was that the Spencer Street building? Yeah, they've yeah. demolished it now. Yeah. And, the, and the same with the Herald building. And yet, it's not incumbent to me, it should be legally incumbent upon the age and the Herald to tell their current employers, employees and former employees that people in this building have contracted this disease and give you a chance mm. to go and get scans and try to look, you know, to, mm. to, to head it off at the pass. Mm. Not, that, not that it means that it, um, you know, can, can give you, um, you know, a cure, but what it can give you if you get it early enough, it can make your treatment a lot easier and mm, extend yeah. your life. But if there's a drug that can, um, if it, if not cure it, at least prolong your life and keep it going, um, it's, there's, a, there's a real moral obligation, surely, on Hardy's, for instance, to, to actually fund it for the patients. Well, but, but yeah. we, we all well, know I mean, what I mean, Hardy's We all know what Hardy's not, I'm not holding they? my breath on that one. Yeah, but I'm just, yeah. Yeah, well, well yeah. yeah, they skedaddled off to the, the Netherlands so they could um, um, limit the amount of damages that they had to pay here. They've, mm. they've tried their best. And do you know another thing I yes, discovered, uh, which was our dear <laughs> foreign minister, yes, Julie she, Bishop. She represented them. She, was, uh, she actually fought hard for the asbestos companies. Mm. And, and she cut her teeth, actually, as a young lawyer, defending the asbestos companies. And there was one particular quote. In fact, Greg Combe read it out in court, I mean, in, in Parliament, one uh, one year in which um, and she was she didn't say this but the people she was acting for said it and it was, uh, they said oh the workers might die like flies but we'll be okay yeah that yeah. was the that yeah. was the context and that was a period when they I think they still do probably in many ways but they used to try to prolong the cases so the patient would die before they got to settlement yeah 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 and That's the terrible. other thing the other interesting thing too is that when you get a payout which I've you know I got this you know, fairly decent pay, but but not only um, has come out the legal, the legal fees were okay. I didn't mind that, but I had to pay Medicare back, and I had to pay the um, the other the the other lot too. But Medicare in particular took all my that they'd paid um, up to a certain point, right? Um, uh, I think it was about nearly six months of treatment before the court case came up. And then all of a sudden, I pay my taxes all my life. Medicare is saying, "Oh no, no, you've got to pay us back 
for all that uh, stuff. How about yeah. that? That's good old Medicare. Yeah, it's, well, that's, and this is supposed to be a free health system, and yet there's yeah. a drug you have to pay 7000 mm-hmm. for. Um, it's it's in, the worst thing to me, Kev, was that I sit in a, um, an oncology um, ward with a lot of people who can't afford that, mm-hmm. that drug, and they're dying. I watched them. I see them. Mm. And that, that, to me, yeah. is criminal. It is criminal. It is mm. criminal. Yeah, mm. and... Um, well, I know years ago um, when I was um, on the staff of Jerry Hand when he was um, on the back bench, but he, he headed, I think I told you the other day, Trev, he, um, he headed an inquiry into Bayougal, the um, asbestos mine in New South Wales, where a lot of particularly Indigenous people uh, have suffered ever since. Um, and the, the workers there said that, that, that they, they spent all day working in this, this haze of blue asbestos dust mm. But when the inspectors were coming, it was as clean as a whistle. And the yeah. inspectors gave notice they were coming. They didn't just turn up. I mean, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, the ridiculous yeah, part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And they've known. I mean, also, Le Monde Diplomatique um, some years ago reported a Scandinavian study that showed that they'd been hiding it since the early parts of last century, 1916 yep. or something. At, at least up to, at that point, the industry was aware of the lethal Possibility, not the more the lethal, but the lethal consequences mm. of their product. Well, it's still coming into Australia. It by, is. That's the scary thing. You know, it's being imported everywhere. And and the the scary thing about this disease too is, which I discovered, it can stay in your body for forty years, or it can reveal itself straight away. But it mm. can can lay dormant for for thirty yeah. or forty years and then come later on. Um, so you, you don't even know you got it, and it 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 can build a bit of a bridgehead inside you um, without you knowing. That's the other thing that um, it's a very hard hard one to detect. But the other thing I was going to say, and and this is you know just absolute great credit to a, a bloody great warrior um, was uh, Bernie Banton, mm. if you remember. Yeah. Um, he died. Um, he died of this disease. He actually had asbestosis, which is the other hardening of the lungs for a mm. long time. But then he died of this disease. It was only because of the work that he did and fought like crazy against government that I was that they changed the law, which allows you to sue um, because I could show that other people that I would have had dealings with or connections with um, in the in the newspaper office, like the printers and compositors, which I would have interacted with. They were the people who, who uh, previously had the disease. So I could sue. Uh, they changed the law to allow that to happen. And the only reason they changed that law is because of the efforts of Bernie Banton, a man who was um, absolutely attacked by none other than the health minister of the time, Tony Abbott. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, do you remember what he said about him? He said, oh, "Just because you're ill doesn't mean you're a good person." Yes. What a what a terrible thing! To, <laughs> what a terrible thing to say! Yeah, yeah. he yeah. said that about Bernie. Yeah. And just because you're Tony Abbott doesn't mean you're a good. That's person. That's pretty evil, right? isn't it? It is evil. Yeah. No, it is evil. Mm. No, just, it's, just because it's, you're Tony Abbott doesn't anyway, mean. Anyway, yeah, whatever um, you said. Um, yeah, but also, of course, even now, Hardy's they've got the the so-called fund going, but they they annually get their American business and Irish business and all their tax-dodging businesses and say, we made a record profit, then say, but we haven't got enough money to top up the account exactly, this year. Exactly. So they <laughs> ask the government to actually top up the account yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's another example of 
the way capitalism gets you one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's waiting there. It's waiting there to get yeah. you. Yeah. So, and at it this is. stage, you, you couldn't go back on that drug and have have whatever's happening now. The enlarged no, they well, stopped or whatever. No, I'm I'm doing a bit more chemo, but the thing is growing again. So that's the that's the danger that. And my oncologist has told me that. Um, he said to me the other day, he said, look, we'll try this chemo, but, um, you know, to be honest, you might only have a few months to go. So, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm well prepared for that, Kev, and, um, you know, I've, uh, I've had two years to, uh, you know, Some sort it out, and them. I've had a very yeah. good life, yeah. an excellent life, um, and, you know, really, um, you know, I'm 65 years old, so we all have to go sometime. Yeah, yeah, mm. but still, it's um, but it's it's pretty frustrating. As you say, it comes down to capitalism doing it. I mean, I just just mm. I just yeah. want angry around for a, another Collingwood premiership. That, that's about <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Just, well, no. I could just squeeze one out. But could, I don't. I think I'll be waiting. A you could live to a hundred. Don't you talk, <laughs> you poor bugger? <laughs> waiting for a Richmond? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm waiting for them not to. That's <laughs> <laughs> you are too. You are too. So I, every year's a big success story for that. <laughs> You have to feel sorry for me. I'm still waiting for England to win the World Cup again. Oh, my Godfather. Yeah, yeah. We're still Wayne, celebrating Wayne, 1966. With, with Wayne Rooney kicking the winning goal. Yeah, I can just see it. Actually, after the last test, there was a lovely cartoon in something that said, if only wings could, could bat. Yeah. But the, the, the one thing that I was talking to you on the phone the other day, Kev, and what we've got to do. Now, I know you like a punt. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other day... Um, I commented on the week that was that Russian Revolution let us down ra- over the ra- Cup Carnival. He, he did, <laughs> but he'll get back because um, at, his, at his last start, Russian Revolution beat capitalism. And I think there is, there, there, there is a hope that <laughs> yeah. it'll happen again. So but, then we, the next, we ne- but then a couple of days later, Lloyd Williams won the Melbourne Cup. So. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> What's that say? Yeah, I, oh, yes, yes, I know, I know what that says. But we've we got to be in there for Russian Revolution, don't we? We do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Yes, there's yeah. a... Yeah, that's one. Capitalist has been, as a result of all that, Capitalist has been retired, in fact, if only, oh. the, if only the system was. Yes, that's mm. right. Well, we've got to keep trying, don't we? Yeah, we do. We keep do. pushing. <laughs> keep pushing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's the only way. So do you find that talking about what's happened to you and explaining the circumstances and letting people know about how the system does let people down, that does that, that help you and give some meaning to what you're going through? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I th- you're absolutely right. It does. Um you know, I've I've been a journalist all my life. You know, yeah. for forty or fifty years, and and it's um, you know, not quite fifty years, but forty five, forty six years, and I, I think you never lose that mm. um, urge. And and you know, I I had three programs going here at three CR, and I I absolutely love doing them, and you know, I would have loved to have kept doing them, but I, I couldn't because of, because of this. So. Um, you know, I still do a little bit of work with the re- my refugee advocacy. Brilliant. And, you know, that it, it's amazing, you know, when you say that because I know when I start doing, say, the refugee stuff, I just forget about everything yes. else. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and you just move in and you just feel normal. And, yeah, of course, you, you wrote yeah. a book about Sri Lanka and the um, the problems of the Tamil people, yeah, the oppression of Tamil people a couple yeah. of years ago. And the- yeah, and that was, that was related, all related, um, the way the book was written was... That there, and, and, and this tells you about this this whole 
a disgusting notion that boat people have no right to come here. Mm. You know, I, I, I interviewed 50 people who'd mm. been tortured under the Rajapaksa regime and they had to flee somewhere yeah. at the end of the war. Absolutely. They had to flee. Um, they were being tortured. Some, some of the things that were happening were quite disgusting. So I always ask people, I say, well, what would you do if you, um, if the army surrounded your house and um, they, uh, they raped your wife in front of you and then they went after um, uh, women who were nursing, nursing mothers and cut their breasts deliberately and stuff like that? Would you flee? Would you run away mm. from it? Mm. And that's what, that's what was happening that's why we got so many Tamils coming yeah. between yeah. 2009 and 2012. That For sure. Because of the, the end of the war. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and people fleeing. And, you know, they've, they've got every right to get, you know, any means possible. Of course, and we sent yeah. them back. Here. And, and we're sending them and back. And we're sending them back. I know it's, it's terrible. And By the way, on that, on a scale of one naught to ten, or you might want to go lower than naught. In intelligence, where would you rate Peter Duffer? The minister? <laughs> Ooh. Well, Ooh. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you where he did his training. And this is always interesting. If you watch Parliament, mm. there's two in particular that, that almost look crazed in the, in the eyes. It's Morrison and it's Dutton. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, was now Dutton, to think, I was trying to think which ones didn't. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, I, don't think, I don't think Turnbull does, no, in no. all honesty. Yeah. But, but those two in particular... Bishop gets those eyes going. Yeah, well, she does, she does. Yeah. But, but, but in particular, mm. Dutton. And, now, Dutton mm. did all his training in, as a Queensland copper. Mm. Oh, that's is that where, right? That's where he grew he up. Was, and, was he also in the army? I think he was in both, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's, well, he, he learnt his trade in the Queensland police yeah. force. Oh, yeah. good, yeah. And the other one... And he's putting it to good practice. Morrison is the son of a Sydney police commander. Ah. Now, I, you don't have to say anymore. When no, he stands next, When that's he stands it. next to one of those army guys with about four stars... Don't you get the feeling that, that Morrison wants to get into one of those uniforms? <laughs> yeah, 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 all right. We got no, a no. big note from someone mm-hmm. saying, yesterday the state government put forward ministerial orders to the Legislative Assembly to change the Vic Crown Assembly Act to allow for Warnable Racing Club to permit commercial horse training in the Belfast Coastal Reserve. So I just, I'll read that out. I, I must admit, I'm, even though I like horse racing, I think it's disgusting because, you know, if you've got it, particularly now coming into summer, if you've got to go swimming in a beach where horses have been shitting uh, mm. in the morning, it's not so pleasant. I've, I actually have personal experience because I used to um, spend a lot of time at Port Ferry mm. um, before I got ill. And I would be walking along the beach, and and a lot of those the the hooded plover is the bird that's yeah. that's endangered. And I, I you know there's, there's there's these big areas where you're not allowed to walk. And I'd be walking along, and all of a sudden, and one day it was Kieran Ma, the, the trainer riding his horse. He almost knocked me over. Yeah, yeah going yeah. at a thousand miles an hour yeah. in the shallows, and I'm just walking along, minding my own business, <laughs> and you know on 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 the beach. So. You're absolutely right about that, and whether whether they get, you know, this again, Kev, is all about the corporatisation oh, yeah, of, of things, and commodification. Mm, yeah. You know, profit. Profit. Mm. Darren Weir is is driven by profit. Mm. The bottom line. So what does he do? He goes to a public place and just takes abuses it, it. Takes over, it over. Takes it over. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about that with, um, we will go to him very anyway. shortly too, but with um, with Dave Sweeney, want to raise mm. the point that they're also now, this, what they're doing with the water now is really a mm. privatisation of the water. Well, nothing is water. sacred. Yeah. Nothing um, is sacred for, with capitalism. capitalism yeah. Nothing is sacred. And I think yeah. even, mm. even liberal voters are waking up to that somewhat. Some of them are waking up to yeah. the fact when their suburbs are being bulldozed and all of that. They realise yeah, well, that nothing, right. is, nothing right. is sacred. But Marx did say that, um, you know, uh, it creates its own grave diggers. Yeah. And if you keep going going for six seven percent economic growth in a in a world where we have finite resources, yes. eventually those grave diggers will come along. They will. They I will mean, come a knocking. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's, 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 it's simple logic. mathematics, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's yeah. It's logic. It's logic. Yeah. You know, they they, they want infinite. Infinite yes. economic growth yes. in a finite world. Exactly. Yeah, well, we've already got on to Dave Sweeney, but um, thanks for coming in, Trev, and um, all the best of the future. We hope the doctor wasn't quite right. Ah, well. Yeah. Yeah, all the very that, best. Yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. And keep for up the good me. work. Keep up yeah, the good but work. you're welcome yeah. to stick around for this interview if you want to. Yeah, okay. No, yeah. I'll solve I've got welcome, a cup of yeah. tea to finish. What yeah, are you that's talking all, about? Of course you have. Okay, well, finish a cup of tea. We'll get her. Take a quick break and get Dave Sweeney on the line. Okay, um, on the line, Dave Sweeney. And Dave, of course, is with the Australian Conservation Foundation. He's their anti-uranium. I keep sometimes calling him the uranium spokesperson, but that's probably not quite true. Um, Dave, um, I thought I'd get you on today because yesterday news broke of this latest Japanese earthquake uh, and the possibility at that point of another tsunami which may have hit Fukushima. Um, the consequences of that would be pretty dramatic, would they not? Yeah, good morning, Kevin. They, they would indeed. Yeah. By the way, I've also got Mark Owen and there's um, Trevor Grants in the studio with us this morning as well. So, um, oh, hello, G'day, hello, how are you Trevor going? Today, Mark. Good, good, good. Actually, I'm going very well because I'm very relieved. Because this time yesterday I was sick in the pit of my stomach. Yeah. Um, because you're absolutely right. It was, uh, you know, five years ago when the world held its breath at, at yes. Fukushima. Um, and we know how profound um, both the earthquake and tsunami, but also the, the continuing... Uh, great pain and, and dislocation and damage from um, the uh, the meltdown of the, the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant. We know in the meantime, Kevin, we've spoken about before, that it was confirmed at the highest level of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade that not only was Australia selling uranium to the Tokyo Electric Power Company, but that it was a load of Australian uranium that was in the Fukushima plant when it failed in 2011. So when you hear Fukushima fallout, think big yellow truck in Australia. That's where mm. it started. So yesterday was just like this horror loop tape of um, boomerang history repeating itself. And the great news, and it is great news any day that the planet doesn't take a major hit, it's good news for all of us. The great news is that there wasn't the three-metre tsunami and, and mm. sea surge that was predicted and that the, the seawall and the protections at Fukushima um, plant were sufficient because to answer your question, what would have been probably the main danger would be a sea surge that moved a lot of water inland quickly that overcame the seawall and the protections and there is a vast amount of solid and liquid radioactive waste on the Fukushima side mm. that would have most likely been swept up, mobilised, moved out to the Pacific and, and elsewhere and it would have been a further major contamination hit. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned before they're still having problems how to deal with contaminated water there, and it keeps growing, in fact, Uh, plus the fact that they're still not sure what's happening inside some of those reactors. So if something were to hit them again now, as you say, just further disaster, wouldn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. Look, you know, every every bit of complication adds to the contamination. That's basically the story. We're five years in to uh, what is now agreed as at least a forty year, a forty year active clean up and rehabilitation program. Mm. They still don't know, like you said, that they they believe there is six hundred tons of molten high level nuclear fuel and debris at the bottom of the reactor complexes. Jeez. They don't know exactly mm. where it is or what to do. They're still removing spent fuel rods from other parts of, of that stricken facility. There is problem after problem. And, you know, obviously um, a, an earthquake, a tsunami would just dramatically um, compound that. Mm. And what happened yesterday, Kevin, is um, we escaped a bullet. We dodged a bullet, but it was by good luck rather than good management. Mm. And it's got to really be um, a clear call of the need to um, quickly and comprehensively exit from this industry. Mm. Dave, the Trevor here. Uh, the interesting thing to me is I've, I've read and listened to pro-nuclear advocates saying that um, the fact that you know what happened at, at, at Fukushima is it, it, is shows that um, you know things can be managed well. Uh, I, I, I find it incredible, you know, that they they totally overlook all these sort of things that you're talking about, and and not only that, but the disruption to thousands of people's lives. You're absolutely right. It's it, there are people that say the fact that the worst didn't happen proves that we can manage. Um, and that is an extraordinary attitude. Um, there is massive physical um, dislocation here. There's massive social dislocation. Tens of thousands of people have had their lives at best put on hold, at, at worst absolutely absolutely severed, and, and they'll never resume a, a, a normal life, or life will never be as it was before uh, the, the Fukushima accident. And that's before we talk about damaged industries. The economic cost has been put at 250 billion US dollars just on that fact alone. Before you talk about health, before you talk about heartache, before you talk about headlines, mm. before you talk about the environment, mm. 250 mm. billion US ripped from your economy is a pretty significant hit. So for those that um, that put a spin that this proves that the systems work and that we're good and robust, they I, I, I just find it absolutely <laughs> astounding. And it, the only thing I can compare it to is the black knot in Monty Python. It's yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if someone in a company said, you know... Um, it's going to cost $250 billion and 40 years to clean up, but it's good management. They'd probably get sacked, I'd say. Absolutely. And do you know what? If, if the company wasn't being subsidised by the state, mm. if the company wasn't through a whole range of ways getting direct public funding to continue its inept operation, its inept and often illegal operation, mm. they deliberately cut corners at the Fukushima plant mm. and TEPCO has been found culpable for problem after problem at that plant. So they, if they were paying from their own pocket, this industry would stop. When you hear all the free marketeers booting on, if you're a real free marketeer, you'd take one look at nuclear and you'd hit the stop button. It definitely would, yeah. There's a lot of secrecy still attached to the whole process, isn't there? I mean, we, we, we know this much, but they, they have indulged in a hell of a lot of cover-up from, from what I've seen. 
That's absolutely the case. And, and one really interesting way, like outside, step away from the debates or otherwise, the merits or otherwise of nuclear and step over and look at it from a few other angles. And this has been very interesting. The, the um, International Federation of Journalists and Transparency International both have um, ratings of transparency, independence of media, accountability, etc., um, on a global level. Now, Japan used to be very high. It used to be in the top 10. And now it is plummeting. It, like the uranium share price, is in free fall. And it has been, by those organisations, directly attributed to changes in uh, legislation and culture, institutional culture, post-Fukushima. The Abe government has introduced legislation that penalises people for... Um, Telling, thing, uh, telling reporting stories that might cause disturbance or public unease. They've reduced whistleblower protections. They've launched a range of really not unfair to say witch hunts against people uh, who have provided information or off-the-record comments to journalists. They have used their political capital and influence to squeeze that space to comment about this issue. And they have at times restricted media access to the prefecture or to the mm, region, like mm. these, these are deep, these are deep and profound things because we all know, and you know, CR knows better than most, the importance of diversity, expression, scrutiny, the importance of being able to, to uh, you know, uh, like shine a light in corners where people don't want the light turned on, and um, and so there is a culture of secrecy and denial at a corporate level with TEPCO. There is certainly that is facilitated by the Abe government, mm. and we can see that in the pressure that's been put on civil society groups and on media in relation to Fukushima's fallout. Mm. Dave, um, forty years, you know, they say it's going to take at least to fix it up. They dodged the old tsunami bullet yesterday, as you say, but but surely over forty years, it's hard to hard to estimate that it's not going to happen. Something isn't going to happen in forty years in that zone. You're absolutely right, Kevin, and you're absolutely correct. We're an eighth of the way through what they now say will be the clean-up, and it's probably likely on past form that that, that timeline will extend anyway. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. We, we dodged a bullet. Um, how often can you keep doing that? I'm not sure. Like, yeah. fingers crossed that, that we can keep dodging and dancing. Um, fingers crossed that they can move. If, if, they, if, the government, if the Japanese government came to you today and said, look, you've been working on uranium for a fair while, we're going to put you in charge of cleaning up the mess, what would you do? Wow, that is a fantastic question and an extraordinarily tough one. <laughs> what I'd probably do is start by... Um, Sacking half a Tepco and bringing in some. <laughs> get rid of our bringing, get, a, a ruthless get, capitalist employer, right? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> we call them cost efficiencies these days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, um, Sadly, I, let I, it I would, go. I, I would actually that that culture that is trying to cover up Fukushima. So this is the this is what's at play here. There are fifty reactors in Japan that are currently mothballed. They're on care and maintenance. Because they haven't passed post Fukushima safety requirements and they do not enjoy community social license. Now, Abe is intent on getting those reactors turned on. He's used an enormous amount of pressure and political capital to do so. And in the last three years, he's only been able to get two switched on. So 50 are still silent. And there's a, there's a nuclear village, as they call it in Japan, in a club of industrialists politicians and decision makers and shapers who want Japan to have further nuclear engagement. Now, 
they want to see these reactors switched on. And so they can't say the reality of the bad news story of Fukushima because that bad news story could be at 50 other places. Mm. So they hose down Fukushima, literally and uh, politically, and they try and push ahead with opening the others. I would sack and sever Mm. the mob that do that, and I would bring in some in Japan who know the situation and some overseas and make a frank assessment. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the bad publicity for the wider nuclear industry. What do we have to do to stabilise the situation? What do we have to do to manage this waste? Mm. Dave, one important important question I would like to just ask is, um, have you done any research on where uh, Donald Trump stands on the expansion of nuclear energy? Yeah, Trump is in favour of, of, mm. of more fossil fuels and more nuclear. Right. It's also more nuclear, is he? Yeah. Trump, more, more nuclear. It's also concerning with Trump because um, you might well have heard his comments about we pay too much for nuclear weapons to look after the world, the world should look after itself. And he specifically flagged South Korea and Japan mm. as countries that might want to explore their own nuclear weapons option. Uh, now that's deeply yeah. concerning, yes. and it's also it also plays into that narrative I was saying before of those in the village that want to go deeper. Yeah. They see an uncertain world, in from their view, <laughs> we see an uncertain world. We want to make it more fair. Mm-hmm. They see an uncertain world. They want to shore up their position. They want energy independence, which they'll achieve through nuclear power. That's their perspective. Mm-hmm. And they want military independence, which they will achieve through removing constitutional blocks to Japan's limitation mm-hmm. on fighting offshore and bringing in nuclear weapons. Mm. And that fits, that dovetails with Abe bowing at the Conservative shrine. Mm. And so there mm. is a real session here that we need to unpack if we're going to have a meaningful addressing of the Fukushima issue. But what we can do in Australia, and what the view of ACF, Friends of the Earth, and many others is, is that we can stop the supply chain. We don't sell the stuff anymore. And we can also use the political space and the noise we can make here to jump up and down and put some pressure on people and show some support to communities elsewhere trying to move away from this trade. What would you mm. say to people who say that the future, the next generation of nuclear reactors will be fail-safe, there'll be nothing like Fukushima, they'll shut down immediately if there's a problem and they can burn up nuclear waste and that kind of thing? What would you say to those yeah. people? Yeah, good question, because we hear it a lot and there's a, there is that dream. I reckon, probably without being too facetious, I'd, um, I'd show them the old newsreels of Robbie the Robot and the Mighty Power of the Atom from the 1950s, yeah. because mm. their, their language, their bullish enthusiasm... Yeah. Mm. in defiance of 70 years of operational history. Yes. And the reality, look, the reality was yesterday, people held their breath. Yes. Like, yeah. And the reality is today, there are none of those new generation reactors. Yes. They're not commercially there, they're not doing it. Whereas if we look over the last decade, the role and the contribution of nuclear power to the global energy mix has fallen mm. by half, and the role and contribution of renewables has doubled. Mm. So the trend is, and our shared future is like for renewable energy, not radioactive energy. Absolutely. And we would be urging those people to put their considerable technical and certainly advocacy talents into that direction because that's sure. the future. For sure. Germany, of course, under a quite conservative government, has set 20 something, 2020 or something, um, to close all nuclear plants in Germany. So they're going the other way. They're going the other way. Just this, and just this week, two of the emergent nuclear nations have announced they're not going there. Vietnam was going to build two new reactors and has just said, we're not going there, we're not building them. That's great And news. South Africa 
it is great news. And South Africa under Zuma was really pushing with a deal with Russia. Mm. And they're still keen, but they've put the brakes off. They've now got flexible timelines and we're reviewing and exploring other options and that Mm. sort of language. And that's in the space of this week. And that's full credit to people like you, Dave, because, you know, you're getting the message out there and I think you're doing a fantastic job. Exactly. Well, couldn't couldn't do it without people who who create the space and the platform and and amplify it. So, you know, thanks all round. Yeah, that's that's us, Dave, and we do a great job too. But um, the uh, (laughs) seriously, uh, South Australia, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but South Australia, the citizens' jury seems to have backfired on the government and the government's taken a harder stand as a result of them. Brief comment on that? Absolutely correct. Jay Weatherall introduced this arms distance approach to basically give a green light to further development of a plan for an international radioactive waste dump in South Australia. 350 randomly selected South Australians over three weekends listen to all sides, read the report and come up with a, uh, a response. It's framed in colour-coded way. Red, green, amber. Red, no. Green, go. Amber, cautious approval, let's keep considering. All the framing, all the pressure was to direct these jurors towards Amber and everyone was taken by surprise, including myself and including Jay Weatherall, when uh, fully 70% of them stood up and in their final report said, not under any circumstances should we explore this. Mm. Um, That's then left the, the Premier without political cover and as you say, absolutely correctly, He has since hardened his position and despite many calls from industrial labour, from many in in South Australian labour, the Liberal opposition, Nick Xenophon, Aboriginal people, environmentalists, the list goes on. Despite many calls, he said that he's going to continue to pursue the dialogue and remains open to the idea. Mm. And that referendum, though, it is held at probably, and I don't know if the Liberal Party over there has backed off it anyway, so uh, it may go nowhere now. Yeah, I think what what it moves into that shadowlands, which is good in it, in it means that they're not building, digging holes and, and filling them off waste. But it's bad in it means that it doesn't go away. Mm, it, it, like yeah. the waste, remains undead. Yeah. And there is this constant grinding pressure, particularly on Aboriginal communities, because that's the land. Yeah. All right, Dave. Look, we're going to have to, to wind up. We're going to have to wind up there. But this is our. We've only got three more programs for the year, so I guess we won't talk to you again this year. You must be so relieved. But anyway, uh, look. Thanks for your time a number of times this year, and we'll talk to you again next year. Look forward to oh, it. Look, yeah. Look. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Good luck for you know a recharging break, and, and yes. look forward to talking in <laughs> Look forward thanks, to a recharging Dave. break. Okay. Cheers, cheers mate. You thanks all, all the best. All okay. the best. Thanks, David. Dave Sweeney there from the Australian Conservation Foundation who's been working on these things for years. He, of course, is another former presenter. He was one of the presenters of Stick Together many years ago on the station. Mm. Um, so they're all around the place, aren't they? That's it. 9.58. We better go. We better go. Next week is... Uh, I don't have no idea what, what next is week next is. Week we're, we're hoping, still hoping maybe to have that debate um, with you and um, Sue Bolton about population issues. Uh, we but, shall uh, see. If not, we may well talk to our regular um, economic correspondent, former assistant uh, uh, tax commissioner, um, um, John Passant, about... Um, oh, yes. Just about these places like Standard & Poor's and these rating agencies. How mm. do they get to make those decisions? Mm. Who are they and uh, who gives them the right? Exactly. So It'd be good we'll to talk to Michael Buxton sometime. Yeah, and we're well. also going to next week, I think we're going to talk to a trader at Vic Market about why they're opposed to the development there as well. Yes. Mm.
Yeah. Okay. Stuff. All good stuff. Oh, wonderful stuff. Say goodbye, Mark. Thanks. Thank Trevor for coming. You know, Trevor, thank you're the guest today. You thank Andy for doing a great job keeping us on. Here. Thanks, Andy, for That's doing a great pleasure. job. I can see those fingers are working beautifully, mate. <laughs> thank you thanks, very much. Mark. Thank and you. Thanks, Kevin.